somebody today who's going to open the word with us from the passage Philippians you heard. And um, Nick Coleman is here this, with us this morning and has been with us the last few months. It's him and his wife, uh, Megan, and their two children, Josiah and daughter uh, Sophia, Sophia. So son Josiah and daughter Sophia have uh, joined us here and began worshiping with us at Bethany Church. Uh, Nick serves as the uh, area director, can be area director for Young Life. And so um, we're thrilled to have him this here this morning to open the word with us. So let's welcome on up Nick. Come on up, Nick. morning. We, uh, hello. My wife and I and our kids, we've moved to Canby in about October and we've been around a little bit, but travel and sickness, we probably haven't been here as much as we like, but we are excited to call Bethany our church home. We are, we love what we've found and come to know in Canby in general, just the spirit of the community and to see all the great things that God has going on, and specifically to have landed here at Bethany. There is is life here. There there is life here because the gospel is here. And and we have just been blessed to hear the preaching of the word, and we are excited about um, the word, the gospel being sent out. And I love to hear about Jason and about what's, what's going on there. It's good to hear from another director of Mayhem. I love that. Um, But I, too, am with a mission organization that's pretty old. It's not the oldest, I guess, but it's been around a little while, 76 years. Um, But Young Life, it's an honor because, again, it's about the gospel, and that's why we're here. That's where life is. And I want to start today by, by talking to you about pursuing treasure, because I want to make a bold statement that what you pursue, that what you are after, is defining to your life. That whatever goal or vision you have in mind affects the whole of your life, that you will rearrange, that you will order your life in such a way that reaches toward that goal, that reaches toward that treasure, that which you place ultimate value in. Uh, brought to mind with the picture of a college athlete. Just right now, the NCAA March Madness tournament is going on, and the games are super excited, and we see all these, these interest pieces on some of the athletes. And last night, um, one of the late games was super exciting, and Michigan was playing against Houston, and there was this last-second dramatics. And this guy just heaved up this shot from practically half-court Last second, down by two, it goes in and they win. And they're just running, and it was just this crazy pandemonium experience. And he thought, man, that's crazy. How did he make that shot? And when the, the reporter was interviewing the coach afterwards, he said, we practice that all the time. We spend hours and hours and hours doing that. And when you think about college athletes, think about they, they dedicate their lives toward this goal. They, they pursue it. They wake up early in the morning and they lift weights and they're running and they're training and they're conditioning and, and their, their life is ordered around this pursuit about what they are striving towards. I don't know if you're like me, but I've found myself sometimes unconscious or subconsciously pursuing things that I hadn't thought about before. 
realizing that my life has been ordered around a certain direction or a certain vision that I hadn't even intended. And, and only by looking at, at what my life has become, I see this is where I'm going. I, I'm pursuing comfort. I'm pursuing wealth. I'm pursuing whatever earthly treasure it might be. And I want to submit to you that when we're unconscious or when we pursue things like that, we are pursuing things which are not ultimately valuable. They're not worth sacrificing for. So I want to spend some time this morning looking at what is ultimately valuable. What is worth sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice. I'm going to start in in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching, and, and he tells these two short little parables starting in verse 44. And I love these two twin stories that Jesus tells. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. You are powerful. You are transcendent. And you are also present here with us. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would soften our hearts to hear the words that you have for us, that you would move me out of the way, that I would not be here for my own attention, but that you would receive glory by the words that are spoken. That's in your great name we pray. Amen. So I want to talk two things real quick about what this treasure is. And the first thing we notice is that it is costly, that it costs a lot. The two people in this story, the two men, they gave up everything. They were willing to to do real sacrifice. They were willing to give up real and substantial things. Talking about true sacrifice, not little sacrifices like we think of in our comfortable lives. Not the sacrifice of going out to Los Dos Amigos four times a month instead of five so that I can save up for that boat. Like that's not the kind of sacrifice that we're talking about. We're talking about true and real sacrifice. We're talking about giving things up. And and we see in this treasure story that Jesus doesn't tell us what happens after they find the treasure. That it's not about they got it and things were good. In a lot of treasure stories, I like treasure stories. I like like pirate-type stories or, or treasure stories. I love like the Count of Monte Cristo. What a great story that is. And, and it's a long and drawn-out story, but, but we see that the Count of Monte Cristo, he escapes from prison and he, he finds this treasure map and he goes and he finds this treasure. And the second half of the book is about all the things he does. About He, he buys this mansion and he, and he buys position and he sets up elaborate plans and actually he's about revenge and so he's trying to get revenge on the, the best friend who betrayed him and the woman who he thought betrayed him. And then things play out and we see that the woman really wasn't that bad and then he he wins back the girl and then he buys the prison where he was in prison before and and it's all about what he does with the treasure. 
And that's not the treasure story that Jesus tells to us. The point of what Jesus' parables is, is that the treasure is worth sacrifice. That the treasure is costly. That it requires to give real things up. And we notice here that most people are unwilling to pay the price. That the treasure is hidden in a field. Maybe people pass that over. But the pearl, the pearl that the merchant found is out there in the open. It's there in the market. Many, many people passed it by. And it took the merchant to realize its true value and be willing to pay the cost. Be willing to do the sacrifice. So we've got to ask ourselves, what is ultimately valuable? What is that worthy of sacrifice? One of the great writers, C.S. Lewis, wrote um, the book The Great Divorce. It's a fantastic book, one of my favorites. It's an allegory about these people who are on a bus going to heaven. Strange picture, but they, they, they ride the bus and then they get off and they're at the bus station for heaven. They're kind of in the waiting room, waiting to go on ahead. And the chapters unfold where the people are wrestling with the things which they held most dear, the things which they treasured on earth, and whether they are willing to give them up to pursue what lies ahead in what C.S. Lewis calls the high country. And towards the end of the book, there's this quote. It says, It's still either or. If we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. If we accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest and most intimate souvenirs of hell. I believe to be sure that any man who reaches heaven will find that what he abandoned, even in plucking out his right eye, has not been lost. That the kernel of what he was really seeking, even in his most depraved wishes, will be there, beyond expectation, waiting for him in the high countries." We have a choice. There's a choice we must make. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give up the things which we hold on to here on earth to pursue that greater treasure? To pursue that which is ultimately valuable? And I love that C.S. Lewis alludes to the New Testament extreme language of plucking out your eye. And we see that again and again through the New Testament writers. Paul and others just talk about sacrifice, about real sacrifice to pluck out your eye, to cut off your hand, to be crucified with Christ, to share in His sufferings, saying that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Saying take up your cross and follow Jesus. And it's, it's not just talk. The disciples actually lived this way. If you follow the history of the church, we know that, that every one of the apostles dies badly. Every one of them is willing to go and follow Jesus into death, into martyrdom. And not just to go, but to go gladly. They go singing to the gallows. They're praising God in jail because they're willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. They've chosen that what God offers is far more valuable than anything here below. And there's good news for us. You probably won't have to die for your faith. In the place where we live, in the time of history, you probably won't be asked to follow God into martyrdom. 
But the point is that it's worth it. That, it, that even if that is what we're called to, that that is worth the sacrifice. And, and look in this little phrase in the first parable, in verse 44. The man who finds it in the field, he covers it back up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has. I don't know about you, but when I think about getting rid of everything that I have, about about selling all of my possessions, the phrase joy doesn't really describe what I think I'd be feeling. It doesn't seem like a joyful experience. Hey, let's go get rid of everything. But this is what the man experienced in the story. This is what Jesus says he was feeling because that which he found was of so much greater value than anything that he had, than everything that he had put together. So let, let's try to find out what this is. What is the treasure? What is it that which is ultimately valuable and worthy of sacrifice? And first I submit to you that it's nothing earthly. It can't be more stuff. It can't just be to accumulate things. Because to sell all your things just to get new things doesn't make sense. It can't be health, wealth, and prosperity here on earth. That's not the treasure. Because you could be as healthy as possible now, and you're still going to only have another 80 years, depending on how old you are now. Everything earthly can pass away. Everything here will fail. The Bible says that moths and rust destroy. Even the most self-sacrificing and loving relationship earthly relationship that you have could be gone tomorrow. Could be gone in the parking lot. For the answer, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3 and look at what Paul has discovered. I'm going to read to you again, starting in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul had good things. By any measure of earthly success, Paul had it all. He says, if you think you had anything going for you, I had more. I had 
the right of privilege of birth. I had achieved position. I had accumulated comfort and wealth. I had standing in society. I was a teacher. I was passionate. I had it all. I had everything going for me. By almost any means of measuring, Paul had it all. And then, he says, it all became loss. Paul is explicit and repetitive with the words he uses to describe the old values. He says loss multiple times. And I like the word loss because it's not just neutral, it's negative. Like I was wasting my time pursuing these things. The direction that I was headed, the treasure, the goal, the vision of my life was a detriment to me. It was loss. And he goes on to say, not just negative, but, but kind of the worst thing he can think of. In our translation here, it said rubbish. In the King James Version, it says dung. The word in Greek is skybala. Um, it's literally like street trash or dung. It's like smelly, rotten garbage that you throw in the street. Like It's the grossest thing that I can picture. That's what it was. That's what all the things that I valued before are. They're street trash. One interpreter says that um, this word could be used to mean leftover and rotting food that you throw to the streets for the dogs to pick through. And interestingly, if that is the translation, we see what Paul used in verse 1 to refer to the Judaizers, to refer to the religious legalists as the dogs. Let them have this garbage. This is all that it's good for to throw to the religious legalists. The religious life is worthless. The earthly measures of success and prestige are worthless because they are compared to something infinitely greater. Paul discovered the true treasure it makes everything else worthless. The treasure is knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus Christ Here's a quote from Matthew Henry, the great commentator. Jesus Christ is the true treasure. In Him there is an abundance of all that which is rich and useful and will be a portion for us all fullness, treasures of wisdom and knowledge, of righteousness, grace and peace. These are laid up for us in Christ. And if we have an interest in Him, it is all our own. Everything good, everything truly good is up in Jesus, in knowing Jesus. And, and I would submit to you that this is the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ is not look at our list of rules and you'll have a good life. It's not try your best to follow this and good things will come to you. It's that read this to hear about God and you get God. You get Jesus Christ and He's enough. He's more than enough. He's ultimately valuable. Knowing Jesus is the true treasure. And it's an intimate knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just, yes, I understand the words about Jesus, but it's a relational knowledge. A knowledge like a husband knows his wife. Or like a father knows his child. Not head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Real intimate knowledge. This treasure 
is so, so great that you can't sleep on it. Notice that in the two parables, the men didn't go home and consult their financial advisors and weigh the pros and cons of whether this was really worth it. They didn't consult an appraiser to see what's the monetary value, how can I convert this to cash. They didn't go home and talk to their wives and say, let's sleep on it and let's think about it. No, immediately they went home and they sold everything they had to pursue this ultimate treasure. They didn't sleep. I love the quote from Augustine when he says, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That this is it. That this is what we've all been looking for. That this is the purpose of life, to know Jesus. And it is a pursuit. Paul is careful multiple times to say, I I know this, I, I know that this is ultimately valuable, but I haven't arrived yet. I haven't somehow been able to fully convince my heart to live this out. He says, I've not already attained it. I've not already made it my own, but I press on. It's my goal. It's my pursuit. It's my vision. The Puritan John Owen said this, one of my favorite quotes. Oh, to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live, herein would I die, hereon would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections, until all things here below became as dead and deformed things, and in no longer any way calling out for my affections. If I could really comprehend, if I could really get my heart to understand how great Jesus is, I wouldn't struggle with sin anymore because it is loss in comparison. Because the pleasures of the world fall so desperately flat compared to knowing Christ Jesus. If I could fully understand how glorious Christ is, my life would not be spent going after worthless things. To know Jesus and to make Him known is the meaning of life. I wonder if you can read with me the emotion, the almost desperation in verse 10 when Paul pauses and says that I might know him. That I might know him. I want to know him so much. I want to share in his resurrection, but I would follow him in his sufferings. I would follow him even to his death. And that's not a thing to say lightly. To know the suffering of Jesus is immense. The Bible says that he was marred beyond recognition. Almost wasn't human to look at. From from the moments in the garden the night before where he sweat drops of blood to the beatings upon beatings to the carrying of the cross to the crucifixion. The crucifixion an instrument of torture designed by the most sadistic empire ever to rule the earth. Designed for ultimate torture. I want to know Jesus so bad, I would follow Him in His death. That by any means possible, I might be with Him forever. And then, I love this other phrase in here, to be found in Him. To be 
found to rest in him, to find my identity in him. My family and I lived in Germany. Uh, we did ministry over there uh, for a few years. My daughter was one. My son was three or four when we moved over there. And um, they were so sweet. Um, And I remember one time we went, we went shopping. We went out. And we lived in a town called Dusseldorf, which is very near to Cologne, the famous cathedral in Cologne, a big tourist attraction, a beautiful city. And I think it was around Christmas time. And in Germany, Christmas time is a big deal. There's Christmas markets in every town. It's beautiful. It's magical. The experience is fantastic. And we went to Cologne to see the Christmas market in the shadow of the giant cathedral, and um, there was a lot of people out. There's a lot of people out shopping. And there's little side streets near the cathedral, and, and people are out and having a good time, and we're shopping and walking down the road. And I, I have my daughter, in a, we have a little tricycle. It's kind of like a combination tricycle and stroller. Thank you. Um, it's got a long handle on it, and I'm pushing her. And I, I'm not crazy about crowds. I, I don't love so many people around. Like if we're if like <laughs> if we're in a crowd going into like a sporting event, and we have a purpose. That's okay. But just people just being there, I'm like hyper aware. I'm like looking and seeing what's going on, and I'm steering my daughter around, and, I, and I'm watching and I'm trying to be protective. My daughter, my wife, and my son are there as well. And I look down and I see my daughter, just the picture on her face of absolute peace and joy, just pedaling along, looking about what's going on, and just enjoying the moment. I got home later that night and I was exhausted. It just drains it right out of me. And Sophia's like, that was so fun. This was so great. I had such a great time. Sophia was resting in my presence. She was protected because I was connected to her. She was was found in me. And she had nothing to worry about. And this is an imperfect picture, I think, of what we're talking about. But I want to rest in Jesus. I want to be identified in Him. To be found in Him. To be defined by His love for me to rest in His strength, to glory in His presence, to be protected from whatever is out there because I am connected to Him, to be found in Him. That's what I want my life to be about. I want, the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want my heart to overflow with Jesus. I want to be about Him. I want to be pursuing Him getting closer and knowing Him better. And I want that to come out, to come out in my life, to come out in my mouth. I want to know Him and make Him known. That's why I'm here. I think that's why we're all here, and and specifically I get the honor of of being a missionary with Young Life, and and we're all about making Him known. That the, the mission of Young Life is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. I want to make Jesus known to the students of Canby High School. I want to see 
so many lives transformed by a relationship with him that it changes the culture of the school, that it changes the culture of our community. I want to make him known. Because that's what our life is all about. One of the exciting parts of my job is to build community, to build teams, and to invite people to come along and to make him known alongside of me. And it's been a great joy to get to know this church a little bit, to hang out with Jeff, who's all about the gospel, who's all about Jesus, and to get to know David. And I'm so excited by what's happening here with the youth at Bethany, because David loves Jesus, and David's about making him known. And we've gotten to know each other a little bit and able to pray together and partner together. And I want to invite you along with us. Let's make Jesus known in Canby, in Clackamas County, in Oregon, in the entire world. Uh, I'll close with this. Psalm 73, 25. says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. My strength and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. My portion forever. I want to know him. And I hope you find that true treasure as well. Would you pray with me? God, Thank you for who you are. That simply by your nature, you are glorious. You are wonderful. That your name is power and salvation. God, your redemptive plan, which you had from the beginning of the world before the foundations were laid, the glory of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf, his resurrection and leading us into new life. God, thank you that you have provided a way for us to know you. I pray that my life, I pray that our lives would be wrapped up, would be found in you, and would be pursuing knowing you more, would be pushing in to you, that that would be the goal and the aim of who we are, that we would know you and make you known. In Jesus' great name, amen.